Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. With all these wrong ideas that were in one way or another being sown all along the way. And all college did was to allow them to flower. So, so we, we've got to control the influences over our children. When we think about training our children up in the way it should go, the way they should go, it's not just about what we instill in our children, it's also about guarding against what others may be trying to instill in them as well. Because what you may have is a parallel training system. You're training them over here, but then somebody else is training them over there. And you look up one day, and this is a different child than the one you taught, and you say, well, where did that come from? Well, it was, it was, it was being instilled all along by other means that you simply weren't paying attention to. Amen? Amen. Amen. So look, in this day and time, not only does it not take a village, I don't want any village trying to teach my children. <laughs> my goodness gracious, I... The village is a mess. Amen. That's right. The village. It takes a village. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you may have to fight the village. <laughs> Amen. 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 I remember, you know, we were very strict about what our children could watch on television. And I remember one time one of my children had gone to spend the night with a friend and, and we got a call. I got a call about a movie they were letting the children watch. And, 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 and my daughter was precocious enough to say, I know this is not something my parents would approve of, called me and told me, and I went and got my daughter. Went and got her. Um, and look, didn't hesitate either, because that was the other thing I was, I was known to show up unexpectedly. Oh, yes. You going where? Oh, okay. Look up, there's daddy. That's right, there's daddy. Because I was guarding my children. I, <laughs> You know, so the village could be the worst thing that ever happens to them. Amen. But see, this is the socialist idea. But, you, well, you know, they'll be better off if you don't. In fact, I, you all heard about this Harvard professor. In fact, I put, put it up on the screen a few weeks ago. Harvard professor saying homeschooling is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a child. Because the parents exercise Tyrannical control over the child's views. What? Oh, I see. You don't want the parents exercising control. You want to exercise control. Yeah. Now, look, I am not a child psychologist. I don't even pretend to be one when I'm standing up here preaching. <laughs> so, so don't take this as child psychology. I say, Sister Jackson, I have done this, and this is just based on my thoughts and observations about rearing our children I basically break their, their coming up into five stages of development, roughly. One is infancy, where you got total control, right? Because they can't do anything for themselves. So you got to feed them, you got to clothe them, you got to change their diapers, and you know, you got to just, just do everything for them. They are completely and totally dependent upon mommy and daddy. And then you get into the toddler years where they begin to explore a little bit and get away from mommy and daddy, just a little bit. I mean, so they're around you, but... But if they're in this room, they may run to the back or they may run over here to play with another child or they may see something that interests them. So they're starting to explore a little bit. You still got pretty much total control, but you can begin to see 
their little personality and their interests and their curiosity starting to come out. So that you're no longer carrying them around in your arms. Now they're starting to sort of venture out a little bit on their own, but still, you've got near total control over them. And then you get into the pre-adolescent years. And you know, there is data that shows that the middle school years are the most dangerous years for a child's development, because that's where children often go from basically reflecting the values of their parents to starting to reflect the values of their peers. And st you st start to see, see them beginning to change. And I told you all one time, I came to church when we were up in Boston, and this, this, this kid that I'd known um, for years, I, I pulled up into the parking lot and came out, got out of my car, and this kid was in the church parking lot just cursing up a storm. And I, I stopped him. I said, boy, what are you, where, where? I, knew he, I knew he didn't learn that at home because I know his parents. I said, what is wrong with you? Where are you? Why are you talking like that? And his big brother came up. He said, Bishop, well, then Reverend, he said, Reverend, he didn't talk, start talking like that until he started going to that school. Because he heard all his friends talking like that. And, and, you know, look, the desire to fit in and, and everything. And, and before you know it, wait, who, who is this child? This child's not hearing all this at home, but he's hearing it out there and it's having an impact. Amen? Amen. 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 And then, and then, of course, so that's, that's sort of the pre-adolescent into the adolescent years where they start to get influenced by others and they want to fit in. They want everybody to like them. And so now they're starting to develop their own friends, starting to develop their own tastes, except they're not being developed in a vacuum. They're being developed by the people that are around them and what they think is cool and what they think is good and what they think is right. You know, I saw a Christian not too long ago, and you all have heard me talk about this, who got just recently got a tattoo. And uh, I wasn't in the position to really say anything about it, although there were some other people around who kind of teased about it. Um, and I've said many times before, nobody wakes up, looks in the mirror and says, you know what, I've got a novel idea. I want to get some ink and put a mark on my flesh. <laughs> Nobody does that. But you see other people. Oh, that looks cool. Oh, that looks cool. Oh, you know, apparently this thing is really popular now. Oh, yeah, me too. Say so you're being influenced by the culture around you. I said no man ever woke up one morning, looked at himself in the mirror and thought, I mean, a man now. I'm, I'm talking about a man who's clear about his heterosexuality, looked in the mirror and thought, boy, I would really look good with two great big diamond earrings in my ears. Well, we know that. And by the way, even with people wearing them, I've never woke up and looked in the mirror and thought, boy, I sure would look good with diamond earrings in my ears. I still don't understand it. But you know, I've often said, I would like to see a guy with great big diamond earrings in his ear and walk up to him and say, man, those are some beautiful earrings. Where can I get a pair of those for my wife? And see what kind of response you get. But here again, people, this is the influence of the culture. It's, it's not, people aren't coming up with this stuff on their own. And so then you get into the adolescent and teen years and high school and pre-adult and, 
and you get the physical and emotional attachments that they have to their friends and, and activities and entertainment and music that is swirling all around them and everybody around them, particularly if they're going to a public school, everybody around them is into the latest fad, the latest star, the latest celebrity and all of that stuff now is starting to become very, very important to them because they want to fit in. Now let's assume that this child's been raised maybe in a Christian home and, and, and sent to Christian school and now they become a young adult and they start to get out into the world. Maybe they go to a secular college or maybe they, they don't go to college right away. They go out and they go into the work of day world and they start to get around other people and you start to see them change then. Because look, and I think this is what this is getting at when I say raise up a child doesn't mean just an infant because you know what people in early adulthood are very impressionable. I, I'm convinced of this, again, just my personal observation, that adults don't really solidify a sense of their convictions and values until they are well into their 20s. And sometimes in their early adult years, they can come under the influence of people who can get them all twisted up. I've seen it happen. And people, you, you describe what they were before that, and then you see this influence coming, you say, that, I, that couldn't happen. Yeah, it can. I've seen it happen. And you know what that means to me? That means to me that parents have got to be as aware and as concerned in the early stages of their children's adulthood as they are when they are teenagers. Now, it might be a little different in terms of how you approach it, but I think you still got to be prepared to try to exercise influence and challenge the other influences that may come into your child's life until those convictions that you taught them begin to be so deeply rooted in their hearts that they're prepared to fight for them. Because up until the time that that happens, trying to fit in with all the friends and colleagues may make them, well, you know, we can compromise a little bit. We can, you know, I mean, we don't have to be so rigid. I had a preacher say to me one time here in one of my sermons, he said, you know, he said, you, you, you are a, a, a great preacher. And I'm, okay, well, thank you and all that. But, you know, you're just too dogmatic. I say, yeah, <laughs> I say, and I don't intend to change. I'm very dogmatic. I mean, I'm dogmatic about the things that are important to be dogmatic about. And, and so until they become really dogmatic about the things that are really important, parents can't just say, well, you know what? Johnny's 21 now. He's on his own. I think you've got to keep saying, no, nope, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, mommy and daddy are still very concerned. We're still here. And, and, and we still want to have some influence. And, and that may go on longer for some children than for others until those, those values are so deeply rooted, like I said, that that child's prepared to fight for them. Amen? Amen. 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 So I think that's what it's getting at. It says train up a child. Yeah, if you've got all those influence doing... Either none of those influences impacting a child or all those influences impacting the child and affirming your values so that that's what the child gets rooted and grounded in without any kind of parallel training system operating in their lives. Yeah, you've got a much better chance that that child not only 
will not depart and then come back when they're old, but that they will be consistent all the days of their lives. And I think that's what the scripture is getting at. Even when they're old, they will not depart from them. In other words, it'll last them throughout their entire lives. Amen. 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 Our text says, look, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition, training and admonition of the Lord. Now, that word children, technon, is again one of those words that does not imply infancy. It implies a son or daughter of any age. So it contemplates, again, everything from, from childhood to young adulthood. I mean, this idea that, that children are grown at 18, no, they're not. No, they're not. They think they are. I thought I was. But just as dumb, <laughs> you know, that, that old um, uh, saying uh, by Mark Twain, you know, when I was 14 years old, uh, I could not believe how stupid my father was. He said when I was 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in seven years, meaning that I was the dumb one, <laughs> but I didn't realize that my father had the wisdom. And as I matured, I began to understand that, yeah, he's right. I'm wrong. And my father said some things to me when I was in, uh, a teenager and I would just kind of shake my head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, right, 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 right. And then later on, I look back and say, wow, he was right. He was right, <laughs> you know, but you couldn't convince me of that because after all, I was a teenager. I knew everything. So technon, a son or daughter at any age. And by the way, this word implies spiritual relationship as well as biological relationship. Parents in the Lord, that, that, that your biological parents ought to be your parents in the Lord. Some people don't have biological parents who are parents in the Lord. And they really do need parents in the Lord. They need a spiritual father in the Lord, maybe a spiritual mother in the Lord, somebody who can help them to navigate life when their parents aren't in the faith. Y'all know that, right? You got some children that get saved and their parents. I've had children get saved and go home and their parents get mad. Who do you think you are going to that church and giving your life to Jesus? You didn't. I mean. Instead of being glad, they're mad because, of course, they're concerned it might bring them under conviction. So, so parents of the Lord can mean more than just biological parents. It says honor. Children, honor your parents or revere them or value them very highly. In other words, the ability of godly parents to give godly advice to their children is invaluable. It really is. It's invaluable. I've said to people who were talking about getting married, young people talking about getting married, I would say, well, what do your parents say? Well, you know, they're not for it. And da, da, da. Well, are they, they, they're godly people. They're praying people. You better slow down. If your parents are praying, they've been praying for you all their lives, and they're not in agreement, you better pause. Now, of course, nobody wants to hear that. But I've told young people that you better pause because I really believe that if this is God and you've got godly parents, they will come in agreement. And if they don't come in agreement, you better slow down and either give God a chance to show them that that's what he's doing or a chance to show you this is not what he's doing. And you're about to make a big mistake. Amen. 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 Says 
that it may be well with you, that you may prosper and that you may live long in the earth. In other words, God says there's a blessing that comes with valuing your parents very highly. That says, you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, fathers can easily fall into a pattern because fathers tend not to be as emotional as mothers. But where fatherhood emotion comes out most tends to be in anger. Now, that's not true across the board, but it's there's a pattern that fathers aren't terribly effusive with their praise, aren't terribly emotional about their children until they get mad. And then all of a sudden, here, here all the emotion comes. Boy, didn't I tell you? Well, what the Bible is saying, don't do that. Don't fall into that pattern. Don't allow anger to characterize your relationship with your children. That provokes them to wrath. See, and, and, and by, by the way, once a child is provoked and feels that, that all he or she gets from their parent, their, their father, is anger, guess what that makes them do? Resist everything you tell them. Because if you, look, if you don't respect the messenger, even when the message is right, you're going to resist the message. Now that's the truth. May not be right, may not be the best thing, but it's the truth. You think about your own life. Think about the point at which you lost confidence or respect for somebody and then ask the question, if that person told you something right, how you would receive it? I guarantee you, you'd be very resistant. You'd want to hear it from somebody else. Because that's just the way it works. So you don't want to provoke your children to wrath, fathers. You want to instead train them and admonish them. And, and, and here's, here's how I break that down. First of all, set an example for them. You know, I say my word is very important to me. Why? Because my father set that example for me. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my father was absolutely fastidious about his keeping his word. I mean, if he told you that he was going to do something, he would travel heaven and earth to get it done. Or he would die trying. I'm, that's just the way he was. If he told me he was going to do something, look, if my father said, boy, if you do this, I'm going to whoop you, I could count on that. It was going to happen. But if he told me, son, if you do this, I'm going to reward you, I could count on that too. It was going to happen. And it, it made me want to be a man who honors my word. Amen? Amen. So set an example first. And then reward them for good. Correct them for what is wrong. Chastise them, but in a context of love, not anger. I already covered that. Because look, the result we're seeking is not children who fear you, but children who love and respect and want to please you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? See, that, that's, that's a much better outcome than, now look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a healthy fear of one's father. Uh, that's where the fear usually comes in. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love my father passionately. I mean, my father was my hero. But I'll tell you what, I didn't want to cross him either. Because I knew that just as good as he was to me, if I did something wrong in his sight and he told me there was going to be punishment, there was going to be punishment. And so I, I had a healthy fear, but I didn't, I wasn't in fear when my father came home, oh, oh what's he going to do to me? I loved him. I, was, I, I loved being around him. I, I loved spending time with him. Even into adulthood, I did. Loved being around my daddy. So, so but, but I also knew that my father was an authority figure who was prepared to enforce that authority. Amen? Amen. 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 
So you want your children to want to be around you, to want to please you, not not to walk in fear of you. Although here again, a healthy fear, just like uh, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we don't walk in 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 abject fear of God. We Christians know God loves us. He wants to do us good. But I tell you what. When people talk about folks who used to believe in God and now they don't. And I think about hell. No way. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think who, how, who in the world would ever choose to go against God once you've known him? Amen. You've got to be crazy. Amen. I would never do that. But I'm, I'm not walking with God and serving God because I'm afraid every day he's going to send me to hell. I'm walking with him and serving him because I love him. Amen. Amen. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Make no mistake about that. Amen. Hey, and look, and you know what? I'm convinced of this. All this mess going on in our country right now, all these riots. And I, I really believe a lot of that stuff is rooted and grounded in father anger. I'm serious. It's rooted. And, you know, think about this. The hatred of the founding fathers. Hatred for them as if they were still alive today. Pull down their statues. I mean, you didn't know that man. He hadn't done anything to you, but yeah, pull him down. I mean, they wrapped the head of George Washington, the statue, I think this is out in Washington, wrapped his head in a flag and burned the flag and pulled the statue down. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is father anger. I'm convinced that Colin Kaepernick is full of anger against his own father because he was abandoned by him. And, and that, that, I think, has got him all, he's got all kinds of identity issues. Wonderful family that happens to be white, raised him, treated him well, blessed him, helped him. He's been very, very successful, but he's still angry. Well, what's he got to be angry about? Well, he's angry, I think, because his daddy left him. And a lot of this stuff that's going on in our country, I'm convinced that that's where the root and the ground of it is. It's in father anger. And by the way, you all know, don't you, that if a person has issues with their father, they're going to likely have issues with not only with earthly authority in general, but with their heavenly father. Because that's where they learn what a father truly is. And if their father has abused them, abandoned them, disappointed them, hurt them, mistreated them, and you start talking to them about the heavenly father, well, the first thing that that conjures up in them is, Man, I had a father, or at least I should have. <laughs> I don't think I need another one. So Christian fathers, we've got to show our children what the heavenly father is like by our own behavior. One of the most poignant stories I ever heard <clears throat> was uh, Kenneth Copeland said he was in a store one time with, with uh, Jonathan Copeland, uh, John Copeland, actually, and... Um, of course, if you all know anything about that story between them, um, John Copeland ultimately, not ultimately, but for a time, did fall away and uh, was doing some pretty bad things and just, just, just breaking the heart of his father and, and mother and it just, it just went off the rails. Of course, God got a hold of him and, and it's wonderful now, but said he was a little boy, he was in a store and um, he said, <laughs> John's walking through the store, you know, Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I want that. And he said, no. You, he said, no, you, you can't have that. He said, you, he said, Daddy, why not? He said, because I said so. 
He said, he went walking through the store looking for what he wanted. He said, the Lord arrested him. He said, you know what? Every time I turn around, you're coming to me. Father, I want this. Father, I want that. Father, I want the other. I don't ever tell you no, because I said so. He said he paused and thought, oh. So he went back in the store, got down on his knees in front of his son. He said, John, I've wronged you. He said, I'm sorry. He said, tell me what, 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 tell me what it is you want. He said, he pointed at something. He said, okay. He said, you want that? He said, now look, I, I'll get that for you. He said, but, but don't, you, don't you already have one of those at home? He said, John said, yeah, daddy, I do. He said, well, you think, you think we ought to spend the Lord's money on, on getting another one? He said, no, daddy, I don't think we should. And instead of his son feeling like his father resented him, was angry at him for asking, he, he loved him and appreciated him for it. Amen? So, so during the time that he was really just acting up and just breaking his parents' hearts, he is, you know, one of the most successful evangelists in the country. He's got a son just running. Because Franklin Graham did the same thing. Franklin Graham did the same thing. So, so, so look, this, this can happen. Praise God. We know it can happen. I guarantee you they had help. I guarantee you they had help from the people they were hanging around with, the people they were exposed to. But, um, and he was on him, just on him, you know, uh, trying to give him a job, trying to get him to do things. And, and he couldn't do anything right because in part because he wasn't doing anything right. But everybody on the staff, you know, loved Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland's so nice. Brother Copeland said, finally, God got a hold of him and said, you know what? You treat your staff better than you treat your son. He said he came under conviction. So he called him into his office. Sat him down and confessed that very thing. He said, son, the Lord's arrested me and told me I treat my staff better than I treat you. He said, I want to apologize to you and ask your forgiveness for that. So now his son's sitting there knowing he's acting up, okay? Knowing he's doing stuff wrong. I mean, so it's not like he's been a really good boy, but he sat there. He said, now I want you to know, he said, I want you to know something. He said, from this moment on, I'm going to treat you as well or better than I treat anybody else in this ministry because you are my son. He said, I want you to know from this point on, I find no fault in you. Amen. Jonathan Copeland says that was the moment of his turnaround. He said, from that point on, he said his life began to change. Because instead of resenting his father and, and the, in the discipline he was trying to impose upon him, he said he went immediately to realizing he was breaking his heart and he wanted to please him. He said within, within a short time after that, drugs were over, all that carousing and running the streets were over, and he started working in the ministry, ultimately became executive director for the ministry. This, this stuff moves me because this is what God wants for us. He wants, he wants our families to be strong. It doesn't take a village. It takes a mother and a father who love their children and are willing to do practically anything to make sure that their children have the very best for them that God has in mind. So 
We need to build strong families in our country. We need to rebuild the family. That's going to take a lot of work because the family's been decimated in this country. But I just want to encourage you all to take that next generation coming along that you have influence over and make sure that you not only train them up, but that you protect them from other influences that are trying to train them up so that they will never depart from what you give. Stand up on your feet. Let's give God praise. Amen.